0: Welcome to the Frontier Space podcast, Jeremy.
1: Hey, thank you so much, Cole. Thanks for having me.
0: We're honored to have you here. And uh, where where are you calling in from?
1: Uh, We're based out of New Hampshire. So I like to say it's the uh, center of all things space. The rest of the world just hasn't caught up to us just yet. So um, it's uh, kind of a cloudy day today here in uh new hampshire but uh, it was quite beautiful yesterday but uh, we're in peak season for all the leaves up here so a lot of tourists nice
0: so here we'll have to make it up there sometime so please do so we were wondering what were kind of the your your moments and story when you decided you know or we're starting this company and committing over the years to, to rogue space systems.
1: Sure. So it really started off as a research paper, uh, back in school. And, uh, the, the figure that kind of stood out for for me was that there was the U S government tracked approximately 300,000 debris strikes, um, in space. And, I was like, you know, that's a problem that really should get solved. And I thought about it for several months, took a couple of classes, and after some encouragement for from some of the uh, some of my professors, um, I decided to go to the MIT Space Conference. And I spoke to a lot of uh, potential investors and a lot of uh, people from the industry, and really learned that uh, it's about building a team and. Uh, really understanding the problem uh, that you're trying to solve. And uh, that kind of the uh, best idea at the moment was to try and build robots to do cool things in space. So after that, I called up my partner at the time and told him, hey, we're going to move into a whole new thing. We're going to go to space. And here we go. It's uh, two and a half years later and um things are almost three years later, and things are going pretty well for us.
0: Nice. Seems like it. And I think you guys are really kind of – i we see you guys as a leader in this uh, de- debris mitigation field to some extent.
1: I wouldn't say that necessarily we're the leader uh, in debris. Uh, there's a couple of other companies that are really pushing that. Rogue is really focused on in-space servicing, which includes debris. Uh, We like to believe we are thought leaders. Um, We have some pretty advanced technology. we got some pretty advanced thinking, forward thinking, uh, surrounding those topics and areas. Uh, But I would say we are a leader, maybe not the, but certainly a, once uh, we get into space next year. Um then yeah, maybe we can talk about uh leading the industry.
0: Nice. Yeah, the um was reading up on some of the those your your orbot vehicles, one of the, the the three orbot on orbit servicing mm-hmm. spacecraft yep. looks very exciting.
1: Yes. So uh, our our three spacecraft that we're really working on, uh, primarily we're f- focused on Laura and um, uh, eventually Fred. is an inspection and observation spacecraft. Uh, she's going up next year. Um, and we're hoping to have Fred, uh, which has got the robotics. That'll probably go up uh, the next year. It kind of depends on how things flow, but We're moving very quickly and our partnership with SAIC is really gonna help us accelerate
2: a lot of these development programs. Nice.
0: With Laura, I was reading you guys, you're gonna have a 19 kilogram um, wet mass spacecraft with a one millimeter resolution radar and hyperspectral imaging.
2: Yes,
1: it's um, the the instrument the sensor set is going to probably change up just a little bit, um, mostly because of uh, some of the swap that we've had to do, um, in relation to what we're uh, carrying out as a as a final mission. But all in all, yeah, we're we're equipping these with quite a bit of uh, diverse uh, sensor suite um, to. Uh, to feed into our algorithms and to our uh, to our AI to help make really good decisions, um, it's it's going to be a pretty powerful uh, little system that we have on board. Um, and you know, LAR is basically the stepping stone to get to those uh, more fully capable spacecraft like uh, like the Freds.
2: Nice.
0: It looks like a 12-view CubeSat.
2: Yes, I think
1: we've moved it up to a 16. Um, I want to say that's primarily because of kind of making it a little easier on ourselves. Um, There was just some decisions that was made to move it to a 16 uh, for a mission. But ultimately, yes, it will be in a 12. It initially started off as 12. It was designed in 12. Everything was good in 12, but we moved it to a 16 for this one particular launch uh, due to some other requirements that came up.
0: Nice. The, um, I think it's a unique application there with Laura and measuring potential deterioration of materials
1: Yes, Um, it's a need that uh, the market has right now. Um, There's a lot of questions as to why something uh, died, why something uh, or how something was damaged or uh, what, um, you know, even if something is still in operation, maybe the communications are just uh, down or hampered for some reason. So all of that, uh, we should uh, be able to help Get more insight on and more clarity on with those spacecraft.
0: I think it's pretty. Um, it's pretty cool. You guys can use this this laser scanner to characterize the rotational behavior. Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: There's a. There's a. I mean, whenever you have biopic. Uh, site you can do a lot of uh, depth analysis. you can do a lot of uh, determination with that but again we're we're using multiple sensors to try to uh detail and understand uh the the disposition of a of a uh of another object mm-hmm. in space so that we can um, safely approach and and come in contact with it at the right moment
0: it It could propose some interesting ground demos there it measure the tumbling yes exactly.
1: so we'll be doing a lot of coordination between the ground as well as uh in space observations and you know trying to line those up um so yeah it's it's pretty exciting stuff anytime you can go and look at other objects in space it starts getting really interesting
0: do you, do you think you, you guys will be primarily focused on low-Earth orbit?
1: For the moment, uh, in the very, very near term, yes, LEO. However, we are already slated for uh, geostationary in the coming months. Um, or excuse me, uh, I want to say in 24, we've got a ride to geostationary. So that'll be, that'll be a lot of fun. That'll be really, really interesting stuff. A lot of great material science to do out there.
0: Seems like a lot of the these Laura bots might be uh might be helping advance the ecosystem. Uh, what is the kind of like the range? Well, how we'll close...
1: say about the delta V. So right now it's probably uh, between five hundred five hundred fifty meters per second worth of delta V. So it's it's for very close proximity stuff.
0: Okay. It's it seems far away here on the surface, but imagine much closer. My gravity. And and the so you guys have two other orbots the the Barry orbot and the other orbot um, as well?
1: I'm sorry. Say again.
0: So the other ORBOT, Barry, seems much smaller, um, dedicated to um, with with similar applications, but um, like helping assess the survivability of of the on-orbit systems.
1: Yes, that's a that. So with the material science that we're doing, it's certainly going to contribute to that. Uh, it's certainly going to help with that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of what we're going to be able to do is conduct a lot of science that would ultimately help contribute to, you know, extending the long-term viability of spacecraft. Um, it's always good to try and you know, contribute and help out where we can. And this is uh, one way we're going to be able to do so uh, with our coordination with uh, with Air Force Research Lab.
0: Nice. The Barry robot, it seems like it's like um, a 10th of the mass, around 1.5 kilograms of 300 degree imaging and, and longer uh, radar, five kilometer mm-hmm. distance.
1: Well, not necessarily, it, the, the radar, you wouldn't be able to get a good radar in there uh, for on a Barry, Barry's very, very small. I'm not sure what what exactly you're looking at, but we'll have to, I'll have to go take a look at that. There might be a typo there, Um, but, you know, Barry's really an experimental thing to help us get some some heritage on our compute and some of our sensors. Uh, It's really not designed for like a, a big time application uh or anything. You know, it's a very small very small yeah. spacecraft, not the uh, it's not gonna be doing too terribly much.
2: Yeah. Nice. I was uh
0: really excited to see the the vibrometer.
1: Yep, that's a that's an interesting sensor. Um, we will uh, we're working toward uh, that capability. We've done some preliminary tests. Uh, things are looking okay there. Um, more interesting though is some of the propulsion. We just we just got an NSF uh, grant awarded to us to advance our uh, our propulsion system. And uh, hopefully, in the next several months, we may have a little bit more news to the development of the uh, the vibrometer. Congrats. Thank
2: you very much. Yeah, it's pretty exciting stuff.
0: We started taking a deeper dive into the uh, vibrometers that- uh, non-contact measurements, and, um, and and so you don't have to like, you don't have that mass loading, in exchange. What do you mean? So you right,
2: make, I'm, not, I'm not clear on that one. Because
0: uh, with like a physical sensor, there would be some applied force. Um, if 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 you were to dock to help characterize the system, so you can remotely monitor. Yes,
1: that's yeah. right. So it definitely helps offset some of the mass requirements, but it's also gives us the ability to be a little more accurate on some things and make it a lot safer because we don't actually have to touch that other object.
0: We're wondering what kind of vibrations are you looking for and, and measurements?
1: Well, um, it really depends on the the object that we're looking to try and characterize. Um, uh, it could be um, whether or not a thruster is actually firing. Um, you couldn't always visually inspect that, but maybe you could pick up the vibration of a of a of a thruster firing maybe um, something like... Um, uh, some sort of a movement or something. It's very similar to putting your ear up against the wall in a house and listening for different things like that.
2: Nice.
0: It is, um, looks like the, the Bragg cell or, or um, acoustic modulator could help monitor the frequency shifts.
1: Yeah, now you see you're starting to get into a little bit more of uh, engineering, and those would be Michael Pico questions. That, that's not going to be a Jeremy question because Jeremy's uh, Jeremy's not an engineer.
0: <laughs> I think I think a lot of us are are engineers, you um, included. Um,
1: well, it's always better to have the bigger brains on the team. I'm mm. definitely not that guy
0: um, particularly the the continuous scan laser doppler fiber fibrometers look really promising as um, mm-hmm. well, and there's it, all sorts of vibrometers,
1: yes, and that's where some of the work that we're doing to uh to do some experiments and understand which one would actually work best uh for the application uh, and depending upon what we're um what we're really listening for um you know we've got um you know we've got some pretty good line of sight on some of the funding uh for us to be able to do that now it's uh, now it's a matter of actually uh, putting it into application and and making some uh, you know making some good science and uh, doing a little bit of engineering to tune it in. Like yeah.
0: You know, this um this continuous scan, which these researchers found, you could um uh, reduce the measurement time by a hundredfold so, um, with compared to regular laser doppler vibrometers
1: that sounds interesting i'll have to take a note and send that over to the guys okay. if they don't know about it already you know but those uh, we're we're working uh we're working on that so yeah any suggestions is always appreciated
0: okay so we'll send that over, and really based on the speckle noise, I was reading it's um the correlation between microscale irregularities and the laser light fracted um, which would be the primary advantage. That it looks like.
1: Okay.
2: Yeah, always happy to take some notes and send it over to the guys.
0: it gets really interesting too when you start thinking about the enabled applications and how much of the um you know surface interactions you could quantify
2: mm-hmm. yeah it's
1: um again it's all about what we're trying to characterize um, it's um and it depends on what the target is uh what the what we're trying to talk, you know, who we're trying to talk to, what it's all about, uh, or excuse me, uh, what analysis we're trying to uh, do on that object. So, um, yeah, it's it's really going to, it's all driven by requirements. And so they engineer to those requirements.
0: Um. Yeah. I'm currently studying material science here at UVA and um, definitely, you know, looking more into this with the research in terms of quantifying the effects of radiation and thermal stress and atomic oxygen.
2: Okay. There, uh, there's some interesting modeling and math to be done there, too. Um,
0: These, like, a lot of the, you know, the surface systems have a high thermal stress with in, in low earth orbit, right? Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of, like, the rate, the factors, if it's, like, a combination of the factors that are limiting lifespan, you guys will find out.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: there's... So, Air Force Research Lab is um, is uh, is sponsoring some of this material science research, and that's one of the reasons why they're giving us these these free rides to space. Um, the information, the data that we get back from all the various scans and uh, sensors that we uh, use to observe those materials and and uh, other objects, that's all going to be used to help inform that type of modeling. Um, or at least I believe that it would. Um, but, you know, hey, that that's for the scientists and engineers to figure out, you know. So um, yes. how best to use that data. Uh, so uh, we're making it available to them. And, um, yeah, it should um, it should really help over the long term. At least we hope it will. And, of course, it'll help inform us.
0: Nice. Sounds like a fun pixelated puzzle and, and uh, materials puzzle. Um, we, you know, the more we think about it, there there could be a value proposition for these kind of um, coding services on Arbit 2.
1: Okay. What do, what do you mean?
0: Um, for atomic option and, and thermal. Um, thermal oh, you rec- mean
1: like coding, like coating yeah. another object in space to make it more resilient. Oh, okay. You know, there was a uh, company um, last year, they hold the patent to a um, a method. I want to say it's a method of, applying a coating to optics in space. So recoding optics in space, um, which I found to be pretty fascinating. Um, that was one of the things that they were asking if we would be able to do if, uh, you know, with their tech, you know, like change out indefectors on their spacecraft to be able to do that. And obviously 100% were able to do that. Um, how you would coat another object in space. Um, frankly, I'm really not sure. Again, yeah. that'd be a fun problem for the engineers to figure out. And I'm sure they'd they'd love to try and work on that.
0: Definitely seems higher risk with the close contact too. But... It
1: is. It is. And uh, you'd have to have some pretty resilient safety systems. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's really where we're... Uh, Um, we're focused is making sure that our our tech is operating in a very very safe manner because you don't want to create a international incident over uh you know jiggling a solar panel
2: yeah
0: (laughs) yeah um yeah i kind of wonder about um how your orbots could be doing some kind of bear hug on um, place.
1: Yeah, we're not gonna be doing any bear hugs. That that probably is not the best idea. Um there's a lot there's a lot safer uh methods of uh of getting a hold of a system than uh than doing a bear hug. That 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 could
2: just introduce all kinds of problems. Yeah.
0: But it seems like this this um, effector um, attachments and, and interface holds holds a lot of problems too. I'm sorry, saying it seems like this um, effector enabled um, system holds a lot of like, downstream value too in, in applications.
1: That's right, because a lot of spacecraft are designed to. Go up, do one very specific thing, and then it's over with. Well, what we're doing is we're designing our spacecraft to so that it can be very, um, uh, very agnostic. So instead of sending up a whole new spacecraft, you may we may end up just 3D printing a um, uh, a new end effector, if you will, or uh, sending up a new end effector instead of a whole new space program. If we don't already have the end effector that's needed, we just send up a, a new uh, end effector.
2: Um,
0: okay. it was, uh, I was also curious on the kind of the glimpse into the future and what um, kind of Future applications you guys might be planning or look forward to. Um,
2: sure. So
1: I would say that our future is very much focused in infrastructure. Um, everything from on orbit servicing um, and uh, having refueling points and stations, very similar to that of like Orbit Fab. Uh, we work with Orbit Fab um, uh, doing refueling missions and. Uh, uh, repair missions and uh, parts storage and parts transport or moving things from one orbit to the next. Uh, I mean, there's all kind of communications. I mean, we're an infrastructure company. We're a satellite servicing and infrastructure company. So therefore, we, um, you know, the, the future is pretty wide open uh, for us to be able to do uh, any number of things and pursue any number of uh, avenues for revenue um, it it's that's kind of the nice thing about space and the nascent stage that it's in. We have the ability to go into any number of directions, but right now we're we're solely focused on that satellite servicing and and support function and um, over the years uh, it's going to grow from there.
0: Nice. Start to wonder everything like Redwire and Made in Space, and if you could eventually, you know, you know, you have the materials up there, and you could, you know, in situ manufacture some some orbots or or miniature scales. Oh
2: sure,
1: yeah. I mean, we 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 have plenty of conversations with Redwire um, and uh, Made in Space. Uh, we know those guys. Um, we've got a lot of opportunity to work and partner with uh, any number of companies that are in the space ecosystem. Um, this is uh, this is something that we work on every single day, and we're always looking to uh, to try and advance those partnerships wherever we can, um, up to and include, you know, moving stuff around and bringing stuff back. The future is bright, especially whenever you involve partnerships.
0: Yeah, imagine like you know, there's a, um,
2: there, is it like a
0: some near catastrophe or or something with the James Webb? telescope or the space station a few years down the road or you know and you guys could definitely help characterize those interactions and materials to some extent yeah
1: yeah the iss is doing a lot of work um you, you can actually send material up there and they will um put it into the space environment for you it's it's really interesting they've got plenty of opportunity to do that but yeah we we have an opportunity to do a lot of study and a lot of, and help a great deal with material science and you know helping yeah. that community just helps and reinforces ourselves so um we're always looking to partner up with um with anyone that can help advance the causes of uh
2: of this economy
0: It's it's very exciting. We're wishing you guys the best of luck there with Rogue. So
2: well,
1: I um, appreciate that, Cole. Um, I really appreciate you having me. And um, you know, please send me that info. Uh always looking to get new ideas and um you know, thank you, thank you again for having me. Always happy to have a conversation.
0: Good time look forward to supporting your research and and efforts over there so thanks Jeremy
2: hey, yeah. hey thank you so much